Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. on it, life of its own. This is a kindergarten writing this. Please remember that through the story. <laughs> Took on a life of its own. Sometimes when he would turn left, the motorcycle would all of a sudden go right. And when he would turn right, the motorcycle would all of a sudden go left. And when he would go forward, the motorcycle would always, all of a sudden go backwards. Um, and it was just this crazy motorcycle. Eventually, he learned to override this by turning left when he wanted to go right, and turning right when he wanted to go left, and going forward when he wanted to go backward, and so on. And for a while, this worked fine in this story from this kindergartner, until sometimes when he would turn left trying to go right, the motorcycle would turn left. And then when he was trying to go right, trying to turn left, the motorcycle would go left. And when he was trying to go straight, trying to go, when he was going to try and go forward, trying to go backwards, the motorcycle would go backwards, and, and it was terribly confusing, <clears throat> as you all are now confused and you don't want to talk about anymore. Um, and so eventually, he got so fed up with it, as the story goes, he took the motorcycle to the dump. And when he got there, the motorcycle threw him away instead. (laughs) 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 
Um, I like the story. Um, and I know from some of you all, uh, and you all, um, that your life has felt a bit like this. Um, like this crazy motorcycle um, in the last few years, right? Um, like you're bound up in something you don't completely comprehend. <laughs> that's, like, that's that story. And that sometimes you don't even understand like your own actions within the story as it's unfolding um, anymore. And, uh, and it reminded me as I read this story, it reminded me um, of something that the Apostle Paul said, I do the thing I, I, I don't do the thing I want to do, and I, I do the very thing I hate. Over and over again, I do the thing I hate. When I want to turn right, I, and turn, I, I turn left. And when I want to go forward, I go backwards. And I know this is I know this the life of some of us. It's the life some of us live. And we're clamoring for language often to describe the cause of a life like this. The cause. What is the cause? Why does it feel super mysterious that I go... I want to go this way, and instead I always go this way. It's this mysterious thing. It's, it's the mystery of sin. And this mystery goes straight to the very heart of how we understand who Jesus is. And so when Christians across the centuries have tried to describe sin, um, they tend to go, they tend to not describe it philosophically, but rather they point to the world around them, right? They point to things that they see that are sin in their lives or in the lives of others. That's because sin is like the most self-evident of Christian doctrines. You can see it. It is always simply there. The evidence written on the front page of the paper, right? The, it's splashed across the daily news every day, scrolling at the bottom of the TV, um, flashing in our inboxes and, and our news feeds, and it's also scribbled in the darkness of our own hearts too, right? And at the end, at the end of the fourth century though, they, they, they did philosophize about it. They actually had big debates about it. We don't do that. But they had huge debates about it. It's like this, it actually erupted in Christianity, these two kind of titans of faith got into this shouting match over what this thing is, the nature of the mystery of this thing that makes us want to do the thing we don't want to do and, and not do the thing we actually want to do, the mystery of sin. And so these two people started fighting. Um, St. Augustine started fighting. He bishop at this time of, in North Africa. Um, and then there's um, Pelagius, this um, British monk. And Pelagius said that there is... There is nothing original about sin. Rather, it's really just the result of poor choices that we make. Human beings with the freedom um, of the, the will inside of us are given by, given by God, have the ability to choose the good. We just gotta choose it. Sin is this product then of just like human endeavor, Pelagius said. If you want to be good, if you want to do the right thing or the thing that you really wanted to do and not go the other direction, he said, if you want to be more loving, if you want, 
if you want to, to be the kind of person who serves your neighbor, if you, if you want the strength of will that, that you desire from God, all you have to do is just do it. It's this kind of like self-help section of the Christian bookstore, right? <laughs> and then down in North Africa, there was this other guy who had this argument going on with Pelagius Augustine. He said, no, no, like, that cannot be right. Because like that kindergartner who wrote about the crazy motorcycle, like, I often, I really want to do good. I often have a deep desire to do good in me. I really am trying to control my passions and my desires and my instincts and orient them to the right direction, and I still cannot. How do you make sense of that, Pelagius? I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, he says. And so Augustine said, sin is not merely a matter of making better choices. Um, so we should get that right at the beginning of Flint. It's not a matter of exerting power um, of my own will over my life. But rather, there is something fundamentally wrong and broken, something in me and indeed the entire world that is distorted and kind of out of whack. Some cancer of the soul that, that has infected the entire cosmos and cannot easily be rooted out and my very will itself is, is a part of that chaos. And Augustine eventually won the day on this argument and helped shape the doctrine that Christians call the original sin. Ask, ask any addict if they can self-help themselves out of their addiction, right? Ask them. That makes no sense. They can't. Ask someone who is going through um, the horror of depression, which we would not call a capital C sin, right? That's not sin. That's not sin. That is illness, um, and yet it's it's brokenness at the heart of the of the human condition, right? It's not as God intended it. Nobody, God doesn't want us depressed. Ask anybody who's depressed, whose burdens are so heavy they cannot even get out of bed in the morning if depression is the simple matter of just making better choices, right? It's not that. Ask someone with an eating disorder if learning to eat well is merely about simply willing yourself to do it, right? It's not. Ask a parent lying awake at night, in the middle of the night, worried about a teenage daughter or son who just started driving if if good parenting boils down to five key like parental success quotes from some article like the sentimental platitudes of try harder and don't give up and you can do it you can do it if you just try a little harder just or fix the problem or you know the whole um, dare movement that you know took over my uh, uh, time just say no right like so it also often falls short, and it offers us just this sense of empty hope. For us, it's this terrible catch-22 sin is. We're all in bondage. We're all bound up by our own whims and desires and, and fickleness, and we long to be set free. We love freedom, like we're made to love freedom as Americans. 
We place a high value on the word and reality of freedom in our society, yet freedom in our vernacular normally means something like, I'm free as an individual, and I'm free to do as I please. And we know that Washington and Jefferson and Adams and all the others did not mean that when they talked about freedom. That's Freedom is not simply doing as you please. That seemed, they seemed to think that freedom meant a, a freedom to participate, some meaningful engagement in the society around them, a freedom to contribute to the common good around them. Um, and St. Augustine felt and spoke to this kind of freedom, and then he nuanced it, recognizing that freedom cannot mean I am free to do as I choose, which is basically just saying I'm a, I'm a slave to myself. Rather, true freedom is found in a different kind of bondage altogether. Being bound, being bound together through grace in Jesus Christ. And it is there that we find purpose. It's there that we find joy. It's there that we know what the kingdom of God looks like. Which brings us to the scripture that Phoebe read today. Um, our first question from Jesus in this series, we're going to, Jesus is the question, rather than Jesus always being the answer. The funny thing is Jesus often doesn't give us really clear answers. And so um, Jesus is the question for us this, this season. And, uh, and our first question, I don't know if you heard it, um, Jesus is asking people to participate in this kingdom of God. Jesus is asking them to be bound through that grace rather than been bound by sin, and he's not having a whole lot of luck getting them to buy into this. Um, he's not getting their attention. And so um, he's super frustrated, and he says, to what shall I compare this generation? Y'all are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another, hey, if we played the music, like, we played this really catchy music for you, and you didn't get up and dance, calling out to one another, hey, you should dance, I played this music, you should dance, and then, and then we cried, and we cried, and we cried, and you didn't cry with us either. And Jesus is so exasperated, and this doesn't make any sense to us, but he's so exasperated that he calls the crowd a bunch of curmudgeons, like, who spurn the invitation to join a children's game. To what shall I compare this generation? A bunch of killjoys. Y'all are just like, y'all are such a bummer. I mean, come on, Jesus and the children cry. Feel the room. Get on the same page. Get on the same page. Join the fun. Join the dance. Hear the music. Tune into the cries wherever they're coming from. That's the kingdom of God. I'm coming up on um, on wedding season. I have a couple that I'm anticipating um, being a part of um, this spring, and I thought about it the other day that weddings are this space where two people stand up at an altar, and they really have no idea what they're doing, and they're like they're like these crazy motorcycles, um, and they've got all these people like throwing cliches their way the whole journey, um, ribbing them ahead of time about giving up their freedom, right? You're going to give up your freedom. You're going to throw away the key. You're going to, like, all the comments on the ball and chain stuff. And, and 
But the gift of marriage is not giving up one's freedom, but discovering that like liberating joy of being vulnerable to one other person, of being free to be your very best and your very worst self. A few months ago, I got to be a plus one at a wedding, and this beautiful wedding for someone I had no idea who they were. Um, and I just remember watching, because I didn't care about the, like, I didn't get the feels that everybody else was getting, because I didn't know them. But like I, I remember watching the flower girls, and they were like the children in Jesus's parable. They danced down the aisle to the music, and they're throwing petals like everywhere as they're dancing, and they're laughing, and they're grinning from ear to ear, inviting everyone else to join into this party. And I think they had it. They had this figured out, like the children in this this parable, like. They seem to understand that the wedding, or not just the wedding, but all of life with God is reason to dance and sing and play and cry out and to take part in this joy of God's kingdom. And and unfortunately, the Bible doesn't offer us much of an explanation for sin. It doesn't give us a clear answer to why it actually happens, why sin exists, and maybe that's part of the reason why we're always feeling like that crazy, like, kid-narrated motorcycle about it, because it's still this gigantic mystery. Why do I do the thing that I hate and don't do the thing that I love? And it's this mystery that puzzles us, but it's this mystery that we need, because it's a puzzle that, it's a puzzle that we get in God's grace. That God's Answer to sin. That's answer to sin. That's answer to that crazy motorcycle way of living our life where we turn right when we ought to turn left. And, and when we do the thing that we don't want to do, God's answer to sin is always grace revealed in Jesus who doesn't ever help those who help themselves, but is always the help to the helpless who takes the sins of the whole world into his own broken body, who dares to redeem the tragedy of something like Good Friday with, a, with the joy of the resurrection. What a puzzle that is. No wonder sin is also one. Jesus asks, to what shall I compare this generation? And knowing well the self-evident nature of sin everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, we brace ourselves for the lecture from Jesus in crazy motorcycle living. Jesus has a lecture ready, we are sure of it, and it seems seems at first we get it. It seems it's just a lecture. It seems Ash Wednesday is just about death, and Lent is just about sin. But when Jesus asks, and what shall I compare this generation, he's asking really, do you see it? Do you hear it? Will you dance to it? Will you come to life? Will you come to this meal where friends gather, gaping wounds opened, and all, like literally a person's gaping wounds are going to be opened in this journey, their anguish ever present, and yet also children are playing in the grass and running down the aisles and holding hands and saying grace, and that is crazy. Where the story begins in the depths of human sin and ends in this dance of joy. It's an image of the kingdom feast where the wounded saints of God find their freedom in the company of God. And then at the end, 
if you listen, you linger through through the lecture. Jesus whimpers. Jesus whispers. Come to me, all who are bound by wow. sin and grace, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. God, we all know what it's like to be on the crazy motorcycle and um, we're puzzled by it and because we're puzzled by it, we often think that um, there's no way out. There's no turning around this. This is what it is. And yet you offer us an even more puzzling but just amazing truth that the remedy to sin is not our striving, it's not our fasting, It's not anything we seek to do, but the remedy to sin is grace. This great gift you give us. Our children just dance down aisles. For every person, God, who is, kind of distances themselves from this season because it just feels like it's all about death and sin. And we know, we know here, that that is such a small part of the story. And that's all we think the story is. We've been given a bankrupt gospel. We don't know what journey we're on. And so, man, we're so marveled by the reality of your grace that we can't help, not by obligation, not because we think it's a remedy to sin, but we can't help, God, but seek to serve you this season because of the incredible grace you've shown us. The grace known in Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. There is peace at the table.